Good morning, Bridge. How are we doing, guys? Can I tell you before we even get into message time how incredibly proud I am of you? That's got to be my favorite video we've ever produced because that's who you are. That's what this church is all about. Can we give it up for this church, for the people down the pew, for you and all that you do? And just love the way you just touch people's lives in practical ways day in and day out. And whether we're talking about, you know, the tens of thousands of dollars that you give uh, to families in the area every year to make sure their electricity doesn't get turned off or their water doesn't get turned off to the medical RV doing uh, medical screenings and sharing Jesus while they're checking blood pressures to prison ministries to feeding the working poor and the homeless to feeding kids during this pandemic when they didn't have school lunches. We rallied some people and, and they're going into homes and feeding uh, them there, feeding teachers when school started back to, to booths at the county fair to help nursing moms who we're doing it for the first time, learn how to do it. I mean, it's just, it's phenomenal who you are and what you do. And I'm just so incredibly honored to be among you. We're in a series, for those of you that are new, we're calling I Am The Bridge. And we're talking not about the name of our church. We're talking about a, a spiritual, practical reality that God called us to be a bridge to this community, to be a bridge to the lost, to be a bridge to the hurting world. And, and so when we talk about the church as a bridge, who are we talking about? Are you awake? Who are we talking about? We're talking about us. And so at the end of the day, the bridge is not a building on Whitley Church Road. It's not a meeting on Sunday morning. The bridge is you. It's me. I am the bridge. Say it with me. I am the bridge. Look at somebody and say, you are the bridge. Oh, well, here we go. Look at somebody else. We are the bridge. And what are we the bridge to? A bridge is a conveyance from one point to another. We're the bridge from the Jesus whom we've met to the people who desperately need him. And he walks across that bridge. We're a bridge to the hurting world, desperate for Jesus. And so in this little series, we've been talking about some specific areas. Certainly can't be a comprehensive list but some of the specific areas that we believe God has called us as a church to be a bridge to. Last week, we talked about being a bridge uh, to children who are, don't have families, to uh, caring for orphans and, and widows in distress. In fact, we learned last week that, uh, that James said that if you want to know what God considers to be pure and genuine religion, I and mean, we think of religion as list of do's and don'ts and rituals and liturgies and all that kind of stuff, but if you know what God calls pure religion. It's, it's taking care of orphans and widows in distress. What may surprise you, though, is that Jesus actually went further and got more uh, clear, explicit uh, on this subject of what, it, what, what it's really all about than even uh, his half-brother James did. Look at Matthew chapter 25, brought your Bible, flip over there. You go to the Bridge NC app and open notes. The outline's there with all the scriptures. Uh, you can, in fact, save that to your journal and take your own notes. Uh, but uh, Matthew chapter 25, beginning with verse 31, says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. It goes on to say the sheep's going to be on the right hand, the goat's going to be on the left hand, or, or I guess maybe the sheets are going to be on the, do I have to preach the whole sermon like this for you to get what I'm talking about? There's the right hand, the left hand. It doesn't matter. The bottom line is that there's going to be a great separation one day. 
Follow with me. Get the picture now. Jesus is preparing his disciples for the day that he's going to leave. He's going to go back to the Father. He's going to prepare heaven for those who love him. And then he's going to come back. And I just believe with everything in me, that can't be much longer. I just, we'll see how it can be much longer. Uh, I, the world can't get much wussa, wussa, wussa than it is. I mean, it can't be much longer, right? But, uh, but he's coming back. And when he does, the first, his first order of business is what we refer to as the great separation. Then he gives us the criteria for getting into one group or the other. You know this verse in verse 35, here we go. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. I just imagine that the sheep who are glad to have made it into that group, <laughs> are saying, okay, uh, boy, we're really glad we made it into the, the, the group on that side. But, uh, um, and we kind of remember doing that stuff, but, but, but you said we did it to you? I mean, at what point did we do, it, do that stuff f for you? And then there's the classic passage that you've probably heard in lots of different contexts over the years, whether you've got a church background or not, verse 40 of Matthew 25, Jesus said, whatever you did, read it with me, one, two, three, go, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. What's well, a familiar passage, and anytime we're talking about being the bridge to those in need, to a bridge to the poor, obviously this is the passage that's going to come to mind for any one of us, even seasoned, wonderful preachers like me are going to go to that common passage. But this week, nobody said amen or laughed or anything when I said that, so I'm just going to let it go. Uh, but here, here's, can I just wrestle out loud with you for a minute? It's kind of an unusual message approach, I suppose, but I feel like I just, it's what I just need to wrestle out loud because I've been wrestling all week with this thing. The question in my mind has been, why? I mean, when it comes down to it and Jesus is setting the criteria for who's going to make it with the sheep and who's going to be out there with the goats, I mean, why did he pick this criteria? I mean, I mean, shouldn't it have been a list of do's and don'ts, and if you did the do's and you didn't do the don'ts, then you make it? I mean, it sh shouldn't it have been, if you went to the church that has the right doctrine and the right theology, that, that you make the, sh shouldn't that have been the criteria? Sh sh shouldn't it have been that you went to the church that has the right worship style? I mean, shouldn't that have been the, stop me when I get to the right place. I mean, it, it, let's be honest, guys. When we get down to try to sort out the criteria for ourselves, we got a whole lot of ideas in our minds. People who did this sin, but not that sin, because this sin ain't as bad as that sin, because I don't do that sin, therefore mine's not as bad as yours. Uh, you, you know, it's amazing how we define these criteria as to who's going to get in and who's not. And Jesus cuts through all of it and says, it's actually the ones who fed the hungry people and clothed the naked people. Not, not naked. There's a difference between naked and naked. You know, I won't need to describe that, but you can figure out what the difference is. Naked people, let's say it right. But again, I, I've been struggling all week with why? Why? So look at somebody and say, why? why? Why do you think? Well, why do you think? What do you think? Before I tell you the answer that I've come to 
uh, in my journey and wrestling with this thing. Uh, let, let me complicate the question a little bit more, okay? Track with me here because I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And then we're going to get into practical stuff. And I'll let you go before the Baptists get to the restaurant. I promise I will. Uh, Luke chapter 4 records the beginning of Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. Uh, and so, uh, you know, he, it's, fine, it's time for him to go public with who he is and, and what he's doing. And so we, John the Baptist water baptizes him and, and the Holy Spirit comes in the form of a dove and lands on his shoulder. And the father speaks from heaven and says, this is my son uh, in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus then goes out into the desert and, and fasts for 40 days praying and preparing himself for the ministry that's before him. And at the end of that 40 days, Satan comes to try to talk him out of doing what he came to do. And he uses three temptations. Won't go into the details. We've done that in time past. We'll do it again in the future. I'm sure you can read it for yourself. But he comes in and, and throws the book at him. He uses his whole toolbox to try to convince him not to do what he came to do. And of course, the Satan fails. And I love the way that whole section ends when Jesus looks at the devil and says, do not put the Lord your God to a test. I almost get this feeling, okay, I passed your stupid little test, Satan. Now let me tell you, buddy, you, you've forgotten who God is. I just gotta get this feeling. And I just see Satan kind of going, oh, okay. All right, I'll leave you alone. Then Jesus leaves that desert environment. You tracking with me? Do you guys like this? If you're with me. He leaves that environment and he goes back to Nazareth. It's time to go to the synagogue for Sabbath worship. And he, being the eldest son of his family, does what the eldest son often does. He was a reader in the synagogue that weekend. Well, this time he gets up and reads a prophecy uh, given by Isaiah probably 800 years before, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. The Jews have been praying for 800 years now that Messiah would come, and Jesus gets up to read in the synagogue, and he reads Isaiah's prophecy, but he reads them in the first person. As if to say, this Messiah that you've been looking for all these years, it's me. Look at Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery for the sight of the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor in that moment, of course, is this is the year the Messiah you've been praying for has come. Here I am. He didn't say it that explicitly, but the message is clear to people that are paying attention. Most scholars uh, will tell you that that was Jesus' mission statement for his time here on earth. And he mentions lots of different needs there, uh, freedom for prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, all that kind of stuff. But he starts, and I think it's important to recognize um, that he started with the poor. Everybody tracking with me now? I, I don't want to lose you. So here we've got a criteria, Matthew chapter 25, that says sheep and goats are divided by whether or not you fed the hungry and visited the sick and, and you know, all that good stuff. Um, and then we got Jesus standing at the beginning of his ministry saying, I've come here for the purpose of, first one, take care of the poor. But he doesn't say, I came to give the poor stuff. He didn't say I came to give them food, did he? He came to do what? He came to proclaim good news 
to them. Anybody feeling the tension that I was feeling this week as I thought and prayed and sought the Lord for how I was going to share this topic with you? You got, on the one hand, he's saying the criteria is about these practical material, you know, food and clothes and that kind of stuff. And on the other hand, he's saying his mission, his reason for coming was first and foremost to proclaim the good news to the poor. Um, and then we pick up the mantle of that. How do you put all that together? You see, you see, the issue is you ask the average American what it means to be poor, and they will typically only answer you in terms of stuff. Am I right? There's the poor, of course. They don't have enough food. They don't have adequate housing. They don't have clean water. They don't have nice clothes. I mean, that's, that's what it means to be poor. We hear the word poor, and we immediately think broke, Right? And I remember a time in my life, thank the Lord I'm not today, but I remember a time in my life when I was broke, one of my favorite expressions was, Jim, how you doing? You got any money? You want to go somewhere? I'm so broke I can't even pay attention. You heard that one? Yeah. I, was, I was curious, and so I did, I Googled I was broke uh, this week just to see what popped, and I found some really interesting one-liners. You tell me if you've ever heard these or, or if, you've, uh, if you've ever used them perhaps. I'm so broke, if a trip around the world cost a nickel, I couldn't get off the couch. Anybody that broke? I'm so broke at Christmas, all we could exchange was glances. Oh, that hurts. I'm so broke, I rub magazine pages on my shirt for cologne. I kind of like that one. I'm so broke, my girlfriend and I got married for the rice. Here's my absolute favorite though. I'm so broke when I get hungry, I go to KFC and lick other people's fingers. <laughs> but Jesus didn't say I came to give poor folks stuff. He came for what? To proclaim good news. Under, he understood at its heart that being poor has very little to do with how much you have and everything to do with what's going on inside. Do I need to say that again? He understood that at its heart being poor has very little to do with how much you have and has everything to do with what's going on inside. And you know that too, if you've ever visited places that the world calls the poorest of the poor. I mean, one of the most life-changing experiences for me uh, several years ago was uh, to visit the Payatas dump site in the city of Manila. I've shared some of this with some of you, and I won't go into a lot of detail, but, but it was just almost overwhelming when we drove up on that site. And, and this is the city dump for the Metro Manila, 15 million people. Uh, it's one of them anyway. And it's, it, it's six stories high, nine square miles of trash. There's 150,000 people who live on that mountain of trash, eking out a living, trying to scavenge what they can scavenge. The, 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 the decaying stuff, I don't want to get too graphic, but the decaying stuff that oozes out from under that mountain as it biodegrades runs through the streets. And sometimes that's the only water they have. It mixes with that stuff. And we saw children bathing 
on the side of the street in that water. Just a horrendous experience. Until we came walking up and there's a little gazebo kind of thing, park picnic shelter kind of thing. And there were a group of moms there, young moms. Most of them had babies with them. And they were singing an old song some of you remember, The Joy of the Lord is My Strength. And I guarantee you that if you'd ask any one of those people if being poor had anything to do with how much stuff you had, they'd have looked at you like you'd lost your mind because that never would have occurred to them. Ask our bridge folks who have who've been to Kentucky uh, to Lynch, Kentucky, in one of the, the most economically depressed parts of, of our nation and, and, and have been there and have seen some of the things that they, they deal with, or, or the folks that have been to Belize and some of the ministry that we've done, again, among the Mayan populations there. And they'll all tell you the same thing. In the midst of economic hardship, they saw joy. In fact, the people who study this stuff will tell you that being poor is not just about material stuff. In fact, it's more about brokenness. It's about hopelessness. It's even shame. I'm never going to get out of this situation. I can't do anything for my kids to get them out of this situation. It's about what's going on inside. So is the answer why coming to you yet? Have I complicated this too much for you to track with me, if our ultimate goal is to partner with Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor, um, but that doesn't mean just give them stuff. It means help them with what's going on in inside, bring them to Jesus. Then how do you put those two things together? And the answer that I've kind of come to in my own heart is that sometimes they can't hear good news because their stomach's growling so loud they can't hear. And you got to feed them first before they'll listen. And even if they can hear, they don't know if you care enough about them to want to hear what you have to say. The old expression, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Which is why I think the roadmap to fulfilling God's uh, plan, God's mission, Jesus' mission statement, taking up the mantle for that, I think the roadmap for that is what I call good deeds, which leads to goodwill, which creates an opportunity for us to share good news. Let me say that again. We do good deeds for the purpose of, not an end in itself, we're not social workers, we're kingdom builders, kingdom of God builders, right? Love social workers, some of you are social workers, thank you for everything you do, but that's not our end game. Hello, amen? And so we do good deeds for the purpose of establishing goodwill, trust, in order that we can proclaim the good news from a heart of love that they want to hear what we've got to say. So are you ready to get real practical? How, how, does, how does that work? What, what do we do? Good deeds, good will, good news. How, how, how do we do that? How, how, what do we actually do for the poor 
that's actually helping them. And what do we do to make sure that we're in the sheep group when the day comes? carrying on the mission that Jesus left for us. I think there's three parts to it. I'm going to do this as quickly as I can. I really wanted to, to try to create that tension for you this morning. It may take a few minutes longer than I wanted to, but here we are. You got the tension, right? Good, but the solution, the resolve to the tension is good deeds, good will, good news. There's three parts to moving forward, understanding that. First is you got to draw a target. You got to draw a target. Making a difference is not natural, it's supernatural. Changing hearts, helping people deal with what's going on inside is not a natural act, it's a supernatural act. So the first step to doing this effectively is we got to ask God, what breaks your heart in this region? What is it that's breaking your heart? One of the best-known examples, of course, of this is Moses. Moses found himself out in the desert watching sheep sleep on the mountains, and one day there's a bush on fire that's not being consumed. I don't know about you, but if I walked out of my house this morning and my shrubbery was on fire, yeah, I would have noticed that. I would have stopped and go, whoa, whoa wait a minute. And then when I realized it wasn't being consumed, I probably would have said, okay, Lord, whoa, 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 what, do you, what do you want to say? And here's what the Lord said, verse 7 of Exodus 3. I've seen the trouble my people have suffered in Egypt, and I've heard their cries when the Egyptian slave masters heard them. He goes on to call Moses to do something about it. You go tell Pharaoh, let my people go, and then lead them to the promised land that I've prepared for them. So you got the image, you got the picture. Now bring that home. What troubles has the Lord seen right here in eastern North Carolina? Princeton, Rosewood, Wayne, Johnston County, Duplin County, whatever county you're from, this immediate area, draw a circle around this place. What breaks the heart of God around here? And then, just as important, which of those needs is he specifically calling us to do something about? Now, I know sometimes you think about that and say, no, well, we can't narrow it down because God loves everybody and we ought to help everybody. And we ought to meet all of those needs. But the reality is twofold. One is that there is a, there's no shortage of needs, but there is a shortage of resources. And secondly, it takes all kinds of churches to meet all kinds of needs. And so the body of Christ as a whole needs to be reaching out and doing, making a difference and working out. We're, we're not supposed to do it all, but we are supposed to do what God has called us to do. So, so specifically, what is God calling us as a church family, the ecclesia, the assembly, what is he calling us to do? Is it focus on kids without families like we talked about last week? Or is it to focus on race relations that we talked about the week before? Is it some of the issues from Luke 4 that I just read to you? You know, this bondage of addiction and, and prison ministries or healing ministries. What, what, what is God calling us to lean into and really focus on? Hear me, guys. It may, not, it may even feel heartless to say, whoa, we're going to focus on one area or not. But if you don't draw a target, you don't know whether you're hitting or not. And if you try to hit them all, you don't hit any of them. Fact is, our church has been drawing targets for years. You may not have thought of it that way, but we have. Internationally, we're involved in lots of missions. You stop by the, the uh, God So Loved the World uh, area out there in the lobby, and, and you'll see a lot of the different areas we're involved. We're in India, and we're in Africa, and we're in all kinds of places around the world, but our primary focus internationally has been for some time, anybody want to say it, do you want me to? 
It's been Belize. And so we've been working in Belize, starting primarily with the, with, with the Mayan population, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Nationally, again, lots of ministries involved in lots of different things on a national level. But what's been our national focus? It's been Kentucky, and we've got 60, 70, 80 people that have been involved in making trips, maybe 100 people over the time that have made trips to, to Lynch, Kentucky, and doing ministry there. Locally, we've impacted lots of different areas. Uh, you saw a few of them on the videos today, prison ministries and Bridge to Hope and, and uh, Celebrate Recovery and school supplies, all kinds of stuff. But here's what I've found over the years is that the more clearly you draw the target, the greater the chance you have of hitting it and the more impact you're able to make in those areas. A fluorescent tube and a laser beam has the same amount of light. The only difference is whether it's focused. So what do we do? Uh, I actually devised this some time ago. It's in my book. If you haven't read Unmuted, stop by the bookstore. I'll give you a copy of it. Just telling Pastor Jim said he would buy me a copy. Can we see those three circles? Here we go. When you figure out, looking in your local area, you look at the pastor's vision uh, and the congregation's passion and a community's felt need. When you look at all those three things together and you look at where they converge in the center, you've just found the area that God's called you to go after. You see, we could have a situation where I'm passionate about it as your lead pastor and I see a real need in the community, but if it doesn't resonate with you, how far am I gonna get? Not very far, right? Or you could be passionate about something that's going on in the community, and many of you are. But if you don't have the, the pastor saying, okay, guys, let's pull the trigger. Let's go charge hell with squirt guns right there. Then, again, you don't get the full resources of the ministry going after it. Or if I'm passionate about something and the congregation's passionate about something, but it isn't a real need in the community. Well, you know, pastor, I have a real heart for Hungarian immigrants who don't yet speak English in our area. Are there any of those? <laughs> you know, is, is that a real need? I mean, there's so many needs, but when you come together and you get to that place where the, the pastors heard from God and the congregations rallied around that and you're meeting a genuine felt need in the community, guess what you just did? You just established an opportunity to do good deeds that will establish goodwill so you can share the good news and people start coming to Christ. I wish I could just stand here and tell you stories the rest of the morning because I've got a plethora. I've got a quiver full of stories where I've watched this happen over and over and over and over again. Bottom line is it starts with a prayer. God, break my heart over what breaks yours. Can we pray that prayer right now? Would that be too much to ask? God, you see this region. You know the needs, and we have our ideas, and we have our interest areas, and we have our passions. But would you break our hearts over what breaks your heart? And then like a laser beam, would you send us as the body of Christ to be the bridge to those hurting souls?
in Jesus' name. The second step in this journey then is you've got to get intentional. Once you've drawn the target, you've got a clear idea. This is what God has called us to do and we're going after it. Then you get really intentional about that. You get strategic. You convert your broken heart into intentional actions. To put it bluntly, you put your money where your mouth is, right? Again, I wish I could tell you stories because there's so many of them. My favorite uh, of all time, it's in the first chapter of my book. Again, I'll give you a copy if you haven't read it yet, is, is Gloria Balbin, who came to me at 19 years old, finishing up Bible college, and <laughs> she told me she was called to an area of the Philippines that was incredibly dangerous, still the headhunter wars were going on, communists were guerrillas were in that region, and very little Christian work was going on, and this young, single, 19-year-old girl, four foot nine, gift, a little tiny thing, you know, 85 pounds, uh, came and said, would you help me go? And I, and I, being the spiritual giant that I am, said, well, you know, maybe you ought to stay in one of these safer regions, maybe do an internship with one of the existing churches, and, you know, and, and we'll talk again next year. And, and she submitted to that and said, okay, that's what you think I should do. That's what I'll do. And so she spent a year uh, interning in one of the local churches, did a phenomenal job. And the next year we had our annual gathering and Gloria made an appointment and she came in and said, okay, I, I did my year of internship. So can I go to Isabella now? And I said, ah, and I'm starting to equivocate again. I'm nervous about this young little wisp of a 19 year old, 20 year old girl now going to that scary place. And when she realized that I wasn't going to support that, she started to cry. And she said, oh, sir, I don't know if you understand. I need your support. I want your support. I want your blessing. I need your blessing. But I got to go. God's broken my heart for those people, and I got to go. And if I got to go alone, so be it. I'll go alone. And so I submitted to that, and we gave her a little bit of support and put her on a bus and centered to that region, long story, a little bit shorter. She loved on those people, started working with the children first, eventually, long story, I won't go into the detail of it, fast forward 25 years, we went for a visit. When we went there 25 years before, when she first got there, it was an incredibly impoverished place. I mean, they, they went into starvation rations every fall for at least three months because last year's rice harvest would run out before this year's harvest was ready to gather. And so every year, two to three months of starvation rations uh, to just to survive. And, and, uh, and so incredibly poor on that side, but also no Christian voice in the community. 25 years later, we came driving up and what had been a little village of 150 people was now a small town of 500 people. They had their own elementary school. And when we drove up on the elementary school grounds, there were 100 children out there playing tambourines and glockenspiels, and they were welcoming us as we drove up. And I'm just blown away by just the, the economic lift in the place. They had built an irrigation system. They did two crops of rice a year now, and they're actually exporting rice, and God's done this amazing thing. But when I drove up on the grounds, the principal of the school, young lady in her 30s, walked up to me, and she said, oh, sir, the last time I saw you, I was six. I suddenly felt very old. And and you prayed with me to receive Jesus. And now all of these children know Jesus. Thank you. And I blubbered like an idiot for a while. 
it was a different place because Gloria built a bridge and Jesus walked across it. You've got to get intentional. You've got to put it on the line. You've got to say, I'm going after it. I'm going to do, I'm going to make a difference for that to happen. And it's long-term. She spent a year doing nothing but working in that village and, and, and singing, uh, gathering the children, doing childcare, singing choruses with the kids. I mean, she just invested her life in that place. Now there's 25 or 30 churches in that region that have all born out of that original ministry. Good deeds, which eventually established good will that gave her the privilege to share the good news and the result is economic lift and educational lift and emotional lift, but most importantly, spiritual lift because somebody built a bridge. Yes, we got to feed the hungry. Yes, we got to visit the prisons. Yes, we, we got to clothe the naked. We, we've got to, yeah, we got to do those things because at the end of the day, that's the criteria for making it. But we equally have to partner with Jesus' mission, which is to proclaim the good news to the poor. And so it is good deeds for the purpose of establishing goodwill, trust, in order to be able to share the good news. Whatever you call it, Titus chapter 2, verse 10, I've paraphrased it for us. Show that you can be fully trusted so that in every way you can make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. You're doing good deeds for the purpose of establishing trust so that people will say, tell me why you're doing this. Can I tell you that the world is not impressed with our music? Oh, we got awesome music. Have we got an amazing praise team here? Are they incredible? Can we just give it up for these guys? The world's not impressed. They got good music. World's not impressed with our buildings. Are we blessed with amazing facilities here or what? World's not impressed. They got buildings. You know the only thing that turns the world's head? When we do an act of sacrifice for somebody who is in need and there is no gain for us whatsoever, they go, why did you do that? We're followers of Jesus. We think this is how he wants us to live. That's it. That's it. The third part, and I'll bring this home to a close, is yes, you draw a target, get intentional, and then be patient. Be patient. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You know, God is giving us time to do this because he knows it takes time to do this. But at any given moment, he's going to say, okay, son, it's time to go. And he's going to burst that eastern sky and bring it all to a close under the headship of Jesus Christ. That's, that's where, the, where in the world, what, what's the world coming to? It's coming to that point that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what it's coming to. But God is giving us time and it takes time. I mean, our Kentucky teams have been traveling there for, Mark, 15 years. And over the time, They've built relationships and they've built trust. Uh, you know, it's a place filled with drugs and violence and uh, some of the highest per capita anywhere in the country. Uh, they partner with Marizzo Ministries and, and Heritage Ministries there. Our own chance more is there. And 
settled there. He ain't even coming back. What's wrong with you, Chance? Come on, man. Met a girl, you know how that is. But he's ministering there. I mean, just the partnership and the gospel has connected there. But they tell me that Kelly often says this. Kelly, are you here this morning? She's, uh, she may not be in, here in person, maybe online, but just an awesome lady, an awesome leader. But they tell me that she often reminds the team when they go, it's not about the tasks we're doing. It's about the people. We're going to build relationships in order that we can have some God moments. And we're praying for those God moments to have with them. Over time, they've watched life change take place. The Belize team's been going for nine years. Initially working in the Mayan village of Halakte and, and doing construction projects and, and just helping them in all kinds of really practical ways, eventually doing some VBS and worshiping with them, that kind of stuff. Most recently, a hurricane came through and wiped out their whole corn crop just before the harvest. And so not only did they lose that harvest, they don't have food to eat. And so we're providing corn to eat now and corn seeds for next year's harvest so they can plant again. Practical kinds of stuff that we're doing. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about proclaiming good news. And so Jerry Allen, who leads that team, tells me that now, you know, we're beginning to see that Mayan village reaching out to other Mayan villages, Kiki Sarko and, and Dolores. And, and, and so church planting is beginning to happen across those regions. Gene and Liz Hancock, the missionaries that are on the ground, our own Kevin Lundquist that's there uh, from time to time, spends time on the ground there, the campground that we're helping to build that's going to be a youth camp and a training center, not just for Belize, but for the whole region, even a Bible college, they're in conversation about coming there. But that takes, it takes time for these kinds of things to happen. Prison ministries that we've been doing for many, many years. My favorite story is one that I heard just recently. Pastor Allen, our Smithfield uh, Bridge pastor, um, does a little building uh, inspection on the side. He did that for a living for a long time, and every now and then they'll call him and say, can, can you help us out because we're in a bind? And, and so he, he did an inspection of a place somewhere up north of Wilson and not too long ago. When, when he got there, the guy was building these buildings, and Alan asked him what it was about, and the guy said, well, uh, my, my plan is to build a Christian halfway house for guys coming out of, out of prison with no place to go. And uh, and, uh, and he asked Alan something about what he did. And Alan told him he was a pastor. And he said, oh, really, where do you pastor? He said, well, I'm one of the pastors at the bridge. And he said, the guy teared up. And he said, go back and tell them thank you. Because I was incarcerated. And the bridge came. And Joey Lancaster told me about Jesus and prayed with me to receive Jesus. And now I'm building this Christian halfway house as an extension of what the bridge has done. That takes time. You, you, I could go on. I could, again, tell you stories the rest of the morning, but I hope you get the point. For our own sakes, so that we, great separation, end up in the right group. But far more importantly, for the sake of those genuinely poor among us, around us, and across the world. We have to take up the mantle of Jesus' mission. So I guess the real question is not the theology of all of this. It's not, it's not about how do you deal with the, you know, 
feeding and clothing versus sharing the good, you know, the good news. It's not just about that. At the end of the day, it's about um, what are you going to do this year? What am I going to do this year to make a difference? What am I going to do? It's about us remembering that the bridge is not this entity. The bridge is us. It's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's me. And yes, our staff is, is praying and researching right now. We're praying that prayer. God, break our hearts over what breaks yours. And we're looking at those circles, pastor's vision, congregation's passion, community's need to look for focus for 2021. We're going to keep doing you know, a lot of stuff that we do because we have the resources to do a lot of things. But when we focus, we believe we're going to make a real difference, but only at the end of the day if each of us understand the importance of all of this. I've got to close, but I'll close with this. There's one way that I know you can be a vital part of that, and that is next Sunday morning, October 4th is Offering Fit for a King. For you that are new, this is an annual thing that we do toward the end of the fall of the year. Every year we come and we bring a, a harvest offering to the Lord. We bring a Thanksgiving offering to the Lord. And we say, okay, Lord, I'm going to turn this over to you and I'm going to trust that you're going to use it to make a difference in people's lives. And I'm asking you without apology, without hesitation, without blinking, I'm asking you to bring the largest offering that you can muster the faith to believe God for. And I'm going to say you can trust that those dollars, every dollar will be used to make a difference in the poor, not just the poor in terms of stuff, but the poor in terms of desperately in need of Jesus. Kim and I settled many moons, decades ago that we're tithers. We're, we're going to tithe if we didn't pay the light bill. We're going to, we tithe. That's what we do. And I would encourage you to make that same decision. But beyond that, we determined a long time ago that above that, God's called us to give free will offerings. And from time to time, he'll tweak our hearts. He'll ping our hearts. And there are ministries that we're involved in beyond the bridge, just giving because that's what God's prompted us to do. Some of you are as well, no doubt. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do next Sunday. If you've never tithed, bring a tithe. Bring a tithe. If you don't think you'll ever do it again, bring a tithe. And if you're already tithing, then pray, God, what would you have me do? And I believe, I believe God will use it in amazing ways. I'll say two things and I'm done. I keep saying I'm going to be done, right? I guess I'm catching Pastor Farrell's disease in closing, which means absolutely nothing, <laughs> but it gives you hope. <laughs> Kim and I have never regretted a single dollar that we gave into the kingdom of God. And God has blessed us in the process, spiritually, emotionally, financially. Second thing I'll say is I know that every dollar you give at the Bridge Princeton will be stewarded to make a difference in people's lives. So you pray. You do what the Lord tells you to do. And I can't wait to see what he does. Can I just say one, one more thing? Just, just one more. If it's a dollar, if it's a penny, 
participate. Because when the praise reports come, I want you to be able to say, I was part of that. It isn't about the dollar amount at the end of the day. It's about the heart. Father, thank you that you've given us the incredible privilege of being your hands and feet to the genuinely poor among us. We know sometimes the poor are people who have material stuff, but there's hopelessness and shame inside. In other cases, it's people who don't have the material needs that they, uh, that they need to survive. And they also have an emptiness inside. In both cases, we want to partner with you in the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, keep your heads bowed for just a moment. I am going to say one more thing with no apology, and that is if for some reason you're not absolutely sure that you've settled this thing with God, you're not absolutely sure that if Jesus were to come today, it might actually happen before we even leave this building today. If you're not absolutely sure that he would say, okay, you're going to be on the right side. You're going to be on the left side. You're going to be in the sheep. You're going to be in the goats. If you're not absolutely sure, please, can I beg you, don't leave this building until you've settled things. Jesus, give me a new start today, a new life today, a fresh start today. Behold, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and everything's new. Lord, give me new today. Forgive me for everything that's gone on up to this point and give me a fresh start today, a clean slate. You're praying that prayer in this room. Please let somebody know. Maybe you're not ready to talk to somebody about it. We're not going to embarrass you, but you can text New Life to 55498. You who are watching online, if you've prayed that prayer with me, I really want to know. Please tell us. Text to us. Put something in your comment box. Let us know so that we can pray with you and for you in the days ahead. Thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of worshiping you and adoring you and learning from you and being your hands and feet. In Jesus' name.